If you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Leviticus chapter 16. Excuse me, Leviticus chapter 1. We'll spend a good portion of our evening in Leviticus chapter 16. It'll be our main text, but we'll start in Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus is the third book in the Bible. It shouldn't be too hard to find. Let me start with a question while you turn there. How can a person have a personal relationship with God? It's a line we hear often enough. How can a person have a personal relationship with God? To know God in a personal way. How would you answer that question? It's actually what the book of Leviticus is about. It's what the book of Leviticus is about. It's the beginning of God's answer to that question. And it was God's answer to that question for the people of Israel when they received it. And how God answers that question for them and how he begins to answer the question for us might surprise you. Let's read the first four verses of the book of Leviticus. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd of the, from, or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. So here the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus opens up with God speaking, God talking to a man, talking to Moses. And God telling Moses to say certain things to his people. So he's giving Moses a word. Moses is to give that word to the people. And God's words to Israel concern what's called the tent of meeting, a place where God meets with his people. And he speaks of offerings whose purpose is that they might be accepted before the Lord, that the people might be accepted before the Lord. The book has 27 chapters, but most of them sound something like these first four verses. Uh, The book is kind of famous for the place you stop when you're working through the Bible. So you read Genesis and then Exodus and then people joke, ah, I got to Leviticus, I had our time. So it's understandable. It's a tricky book. And if you're dealing with a couple chapters a day, you'll, you'll be in it for a while. It's not a narrative text. If you've never taken a class on how to study the Bible, you'll still quickly learn one of the first steps in just seeing what's on the page, and that is to notice repeated words, repeated words, plenty of them in Leviticus. The Lord spoke to Moses. It's a repeated phrase 35 times. Seems like every other paragraph begins that way. Tent of meeting. Tent of meeting, a place where God meets with his people 43 times. And then references to things that take place and happen or to be done before the Lord. Before the Lord. 60 references. So the book of Leviticus is all about relationship. God, God with his people. But what is involved in getting these two parties together? Well, that depends on who these parties are. If it's you and a friend, for example, it's about reaching out, making a call, sending a text, and picking a place to meet, and it's, it's done. Anywhere works. If it's a senator or the president, it's a different story altogether. So it depends on who we're trying to get together. And if you're in prison and trying to get together with the president, it'd be even harder. Depends on who we're trying to get together. So we might be surprised at what's involved in the upkeep of our relationship with God. Let's let's read on a little bit. Verse 4. 
he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is in the entra- at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Here's an excerpt from later in the first chapter about an offering involving birds. Verse 15, And the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and burn it on the altar, and its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. This is just the first chapter. This book is full of this kind of stuff. It's full of this. Various offerings, various laws and requirements for various purposes. God had called his people out of Egypt. Some of the requirements in the book of Leviticus are merely to set, we think, merely to set his people apart from the nation so that in everything they ate, in everything they wore, in every aspect of their life together, they would be reminded that they were bought by God. Uh, and they were brought out of Egypt to be his, so that they would know he's the Lord, and the nations would know that they belong to him. So those are just some references in the first chapter. We read in these verses here, we read kill. So that's a word that's going to show up 40 times in the book. The word offering, 387 references to offerings in the book of Leviticus, and then blood, 87 references. You know, I got out my... Uh, my Bible from maybe 2005 to 2010. So I got a new Bible around 2010. And uh, the book of Leviticus is all chalked up. At some point, that thing, uh, I locked onto it and, and wanted to crack it and was fascinated by it. And I, I determined that I couldn't mark it up until I had like five different colored pens. Because um, the, the way to mark this book up wasn't to underline, you know, really insightful single verses. It was to notice blood, 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 blood. Kill, 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 kill. And you sit back and you look at the page and you can see, you can see patterns emerge. It's neat. It's neat. Feel free to mark up your Bibles. So why did God include this book and these instructions in his story? It's kind of a scary book, not because of all the violence. There's a lot of killing and animals and stuff. If you were to watch the stuff that happens in here, you'd be, uh, it'd be quite a scene. It's scary to most of us because we're not sure what to do with it. We're not sure how, how that verse gets to me now. How that verse gets to me now. That's fair. We should always be asking that when we read the Bible. I believe it's God's word and it's true. How does it, how does it come over to me? Well, turn with me now to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. Right at the heart of this book, right at the heart of this book is a chapter that is at the heart of the book and the book's message and meaning. A chapter unfolding for us instructions for what's called the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. And this will be the subject of the rest of our sermon. We'll work through most of this chapter. And here in an obscure ancient text, we find one of the Bible's most vivid depictions of who God is who God is and who we are, who the parties are, and how to get us together. How to get us together. If we're in danger of losing the forest to the trees and reading Leviticus or even the Bible, Leviticus chapter 16 will go a long way to crystallizing our vision of who God is, who we are, and how we can be in relationship. And we'll see that the answer to the question, how can we have a personal relationship with God, is a bloody one and requires that we answer another question first. How can we meet with God and not die? How can we meet with God and not die? So we're going to work through this chapter and we'll see that there are three things that we need to meet with God and not die, to have a relationship 
with him. First is an acceptable priest. First we need an acceptable priest. Verse 1 and 2 of Leviticus 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at, uh, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. So this is the historical rooting for the Day of Atonement, this chapter in Leviticus. The book of Leviticus is the third book in the Bible. I said it comes after Exodus, but it's, you know, Genesis is narrative, Exodus is narrative. It picks up where one book left off. Leviticus is not like that. Leviticus really is the record of the instructions that God gave to the people of Israel in the course of the story of the Exodus during their wilderness wanderings. And these two verses point back to when God killed Aaron's priest's sons. Read about it in Leviticus 10, 1 through 3. Now Adab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And the fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. We don't know what that would have looked like, what kind of fire we were talking about, but we know enough. It was unauthorized fire. God met his people at Sinai in thunder and shaking of the mountain, and now he was meeting with them in a tent. Familiarity breeds contempt, but this was... No less fearsome God meeting with them in a tent. And it may seem a little over the top that God would drop a fireball on these folks for offering unauthorized fire. But being a priest was a big deal, Aaron and his sons were priests. Some of you have jobs in places where you can't bring unauthorized things into certain buildings or rooms. You used to sell phones and it bugs people. They'd come in and they, you know, I can't have a camera on my phone. Uh, Their options got more and more limited, so that might be you. Maybe you can't take a camera in your workplace. Maybe if you did, there are certain things you can take certain places. You just lose your job. I don't know if there would be even legal uh, ramifications. Doing what they did is like walking into an airport with a bag full of guns and swords. It might look okay to the uninformed observer, but they're going to get tackled if, uh, if the screens are seeing right. Walking into an airport with uh, your chest strap full of dynamite. There will be a reaction to that. So we understand this. Aaron's family was a priestly family and these boys had a job and they messed up and it cost them their lives. The simple takeaway is that God is holy. He's holy and those who come near to him will be sanctified. He's to be approached on his terms and that's his right, he's God. Now some instructions for Aaron follow. Israel's high priest Verse 3 through 5. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd of a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, what is Aaron to do? Just to summarize it, he's to take a bath. He's to be ceremonially 
clean. Just to be all freshened up. He's to wear a special outfit, a holy linen coat, undergarment, sash, and a turban. Now, it might not catch you as significant, except that it's the opposite of what Aaron would usually wear the rest of the year. It's like saying to, uh, to the CEO of your company, you know, seeing him walk around in his PJs at work or something. Something's not right. This is different. This is, what, this is a description in Exodus of what Aaron would have wore. Exodus 39, 27. They also made the coats woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons and the turban of fine linen and the caps of fine linen and the linen undergarments of fine twined linen and the sash of fine twined linen and a blue and purple and scarlet yarns embroidered with needlework as the Lord had commanded Moses. So he used to, he's used to fine clothes as the high priest. He would have looked like a king, fine materials, intricate embroidery in beautiful, beautiful colors, gold and jewelry. And on this day, he dresses as a common servant. It would have had everyone's attention. You ever remember growing up when you're like at the grocery store and you see your teacher? Like, oh, they eat food. They, they're, they're out in the neighborhood. They, they're not in the, what is going on? So, See the high priest. See the high priest, and these clothes and these circumstances would be a very dramatic, very impressive kind of moment that you wouldn't forget, and you'd be quiet to watch. It would signal its seriousness and solemnness. What's going on here? Well, he comes to God as a sinner, like all of us, and specifically on this day, he comes as a sinner, like all of us, and he's going to deal with his own sin before he can deal. With the nation's sin. That's what's going on here. He's humbling himself. And he's coming into God's presence. Humble as a sinner. He's also to pick out specific animals for offerings. And more on that in a few, few minutes. Well verse 6 and 10 basically give a summary of the rest of the day. We're just going to skip that. Because we're going to read about the rest of the day in long form. So let's start reading in verse 11. With one of the animals here is what he is to do. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself, and he shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself, and he shall take a censer full of coals and fire from the altar of the Lord, uh, and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil, and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony." so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger and do it seven times. Well, certain jobs require certain gear. A hard hat for construction, a big white um, advanced uh, material suit for dealing with contaminated materials. Aaron has his outfit. He comes humbly and he has his hard hat, which is the bull, to protect him from God's wrath, to take that wrath from him, to protect him from it. He has to come in a particular way. And at stake here is his life and the life of the nation. He comes in a very particular way, obeying God at every point so that his life might be preserved. 
The point is that one who will represent us must be holy before the Lord when he does represent us. Aaron is a sinner like any man, and so he has to do a special sacrifice just for his own sins before he can represent the people of God. So we need an acceptable priest. And God provides for one in appointing Aaron and in giving Aaron instructions and leading him in this process. And he killed Nadab and Abihu. Then he gave Moses instructions for how Aaron could enter the place. So to have a relationship with God, to meet with him and not die, we need an acceptable priest. Hope that makes simple what could otherwise be uh, a difficult passage. Second thing we need is an acceptable place. Is an acceptable place. Let's read verse 15. And then he shall kill the goat that he brings of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. So this place is getting really bloody. You can imagine the smell. This is a grotesque uh, situation. Lots of blood. And here Aaron takes the first goat and kills it for the people's sin. But there's a little more going on here if we listen closely. A little more going on here. It's for the people's sin, but it's specifically this goat is killed to, to um, make ready the place, the specific place where God will meet with his people. God cannot meet where people have been in their sin. And so the place needs to be made ready. <clears throat> Verse 16 through 19. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place, for the holy place, because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters it to make atonement for the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And shall take some blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. So you see here, it's a sacrifice for the people, but it's for the people's sin to make ready the place where God will meet them. Well, what is this place? What is this tabernacle? Instructions for the tabernacle were given by God to Moses in the book of Exodus. It's something like a mobile meeting place for God and his people. At the center of the tent of meeting was a holy place, and then inside that a most holy place. And no one ever went in the most holy place. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. You could say God's footstool on earth. It was a wooden chest, the lid, and would be carried around with two poles. and had two statues of cherubim. On the top of the lid, reminding us as we see it, and the, those in the day of see it, of the cherubim that would stand and guard the presence of God in Eden. Remember that? The cherubim with flaming swords were stationed there, guarding the presence of God. Humanity was banished from God's presence, and they couldn't come back. And the cherubim were representative of uh, his presence there. And between the two cherubim was a flat surface called the mercy seat. Exodus 25-22 tells us about this. There I will meet you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. It's almost like God meeting with his people at the gate of Eden. And that's kind of what the Holy of Holies was, or the holy place, most holy place. It was where God's presence would be. 
Not like Eden though, right? Where we walked with and spoke with God freely. No sin. In this place, God has yet made a place where he could meet with his people there in the most holy place. There are some places that are fitting for some people and no place where sinful human beings live is fitting for a holy God. But here we have God meeting with his people. He has taken special care to prepare a place for that meeting to happen and a mediator to facilitate that meeting and he's initiated all of this. So to meet with God and not die, to have a relationship with him, we need an acceptable priest who comes in a certain way and we need an acceptable place and God provides them both. And the third thing we need is an acceptable sacrifice, an acceptable sacrifice. The first goat was killed for the sins of the people, but with a focus on making acceptable the place where God meets with us. What happens with the second goat? Watch. Verse 20. And when he has made an end of the atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. He shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in his readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat, the goat go free in the wilderness. Vivid. If the problem between us and God has not been clear to you, I hope that it's clear now. We are full of sin. And if the answer to how we can meet with him and not die or relate with him has not been clear to you, I hope that it is now. That God in his mercy provides a substitute, a sacrifice to bear our sins and take them away. We deserve death. God provides one who will take the death for us. Leviticus 17.11 is the clearest verse in all of Leviticus uh, explaining what's happening in these deaths of these animals. For the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls for the blood for it is the blood that makes atonement for the life. It's not magic. It's God's symbolic requirement of death to appease his wrath, to keep us alive. And we deserve alienation and God provides one who will take the alienation for us. We don't confess the sins on the goat and then just kill the goat or let the goat go. The goat is sent away outside God's presence into a remote area. And Aaron confesses all their iniquities confesses all their iniquities. If you were standing around listening to this, you might not hear your specific sin, but all of Israel's sins would be represented in what Aaron would be saying with his hands on this goat. And they were to repeat this each year. The chapter ends in verse 34, and this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. Of course, the book of Leviticus is just full of sacrifices and offerings and this kind of thing. But the Day of Atonement was established specifically because there were unknown sins, unintentional sins that people committed they needed forgiveness for. They would not have offered a specific sacrifice for necessarily. 
And the sacrifices that they were busy with weren't enough. And so they have to do this day of atonement once a year. Now we should not be afraid to ask ourselves and even God, is this really it? Is this really, is this really how this works? There truly is something awkwardly inadequate about the whole scheme. In the first place, the high priest would make me nervous. Probably make all of us nervous. He's just a man and he can get this wrong. Watching him, even if he's a good high priest, would be like watching your favorite team in the championships. No matter how good they are, you don't know how this is going to go. Right? You're on the edge of your seat. Well, there's a lot at stake on the Day of Atonement. Will fire consume him? Will God continually dwell with us? Then there's the whole place part. The priest can go in, but he goes in for us. We can't even go in there. And only once a year, it doesn't sound like an ideal relationship. Hardly Eden. Hardly a return to Eden. Then there's the sacrifice that only lasts for a year. It only works for a year. And we have to do this thing over again. This looks like a rocky relationship. It doesn't, it doesn't look like what our hearts cry out for, what we were made for, or even what God seems to promise in previous revelation. So is this really it? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Toward the back of your Bible, maybe five books in from the right. The book of Hebrews is a New Testament sermon on the Old Testament. So in the New Testament, you've got letters, you've got gospels, you know, historic account, uh, historical books, apocalyptic literature like uh, Revelation. The book of Hebrews is something a little different. The book of Hebrews is a sermon. And its text is the Old Testament. And its point is Christ. And a good part of the sermon deals with the images and themes from the book of Leviticus and specific texts from the book of Leviticus. So we're going to read some of this together. Uh, my, you know, rarely do we read this many paragraphs except we're listening to God preach a sermon on the day in the text we just spent 25 minutes in. I'll tell you where we're at. So in Hebrews 9, 1 through 7, let's read God's interpretation of where all of this was going. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness for a tent was prepared, the first section in which there was a lampstand and a table and the bread of the presence. It's called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was the second section called the most holy place, having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which there was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded in the tables of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations have thus been made. The priests go in regularly to the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. And we could keep reading in chapter 9. Let's move to chapter 10, verse 1. Read verse 1 through 4. For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. Catch that? Since the law, everything we just read in Leviticus, was a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near 
Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Move forward to verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 17, quoting scripture, the Holy Spirit bears witness to us, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. In verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And this, my friends, is the heart of the matter. It's the heart of the matter. It's the heart of the gospel. And the book of Leviticus, in as much as it isn't fixing the problem, is pulling our hearts and our attention and our longings and our anticipation forward to the day when God will ultimately fix the problem in which he's done in the new covenant through Christ's blood. The full forgiveness of sins. Sin is dealt with. It's no longer a thing between us and God. There's nothing between us and God if Christ has covered us with his blood. So brothers and sisters, if your faith is in Jesus, your sins are gone. Gone. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. This is the total, total removal of sin. Not because you deserve it. Because God is merciful. It's gone. All of it. Every sin. Full forgiveness. And all because of the mercy of God. His mercy. And because of the greatness and the seriousness and the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice for us. How can we be in relationship with God? Or first, how can we be near God and not die? Meeting an acceptable priest. Aaron was a sinner, but Christ was sinless, righteous. We need an acceptable place. Aaron could go into the holy of holy place once a year, but Christ, who is God's presence among us and dwelt among us, brings us into God's presence without interruption through his spirit. And we need an acceptable sacrifice. Aaron offered a sacrifice that worked for a year. Christ offers a sacrifice of himself that lasts forever and covers all of our sin. So the question is then, how do we respond to this? How do we respond? Well, if you've never trusted in Jesus' death by faith, then hear the words of John the Baptist in John 1.29. When he sees Jesus, he says, Behold, which is a command, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who Jesus is. He's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. After the goat was sent into the wilderness, the people, Leviticus says, afflicted themselves. It was a day of fasting. It was a Sabbath day. They didn't work. They fasted. I think that's what the reference to their afflicting themselves meant. What's it mean? They're participating in the way that God has ordered them to participate. The high priest goes in and there to fast and keep the day, which is symbolic of their trust in this as their only hope for God to dwell with his people. And for us, it's faith in the death of Jesus and in what that death meant and what it accomplished. So if, if you go to bed with guilt, if you have a fear of death because of your sin, afraid to meet God one day, 
God has sent Jesus to take that fear away and to take the sting of death away. Trust his cross. And his sin, your sins will be as on a goat that wanders into the wilderness, into a remote area, removed as far as the east is from the west. And that's the gospel. And when if you believe this, what's our response for those of us who have trusted this? This is not something we put behind us, right? We should say that enough around here. It's not something we put behind us. We're to keep believing and enjoy what Christ has made possible. And God's a good preacher, and in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, he tells us how to apply all of this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, confidence to enter where the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he prepared for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us then draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near.